Um, you know, there are a lot of things in my life that are bringing me joy these days. Um, and, you know, one of the things, or I guess three of the things, are my children. Uh, so you may not know, I have three kids. They are 13, 11, and 9. And uh, they really do bring me just a lot of delight, which is good, right? You want that for children. Um, but I don't know if, if you have children, if you're a teacher, if you have been around children, if you've ever met a child. But one of the things uh, that seems to me to be true about children is that they change their minds a lot. Uh, I was riding in the car just a couple days ago with my youngest, she's nine years old, and uh, she was really trying to get me to take her and her siblings to the pool, right? And so we're driving, she's just like making her best case, and she's like, mom, it's like so hot outside, right? And we haven't been to the pool in like two days. And it's summertime, so you really, could you really take us? And I was like, okay, you know, I think, I think we can make that work. And I was like, you know, I have to do some work. I have this call, but after the call, I'll take you guys to the pool. And so we got home and I went upstairs and I did my work and I did my call. And then I got in my bathing suit and I got my hat and I got the sunscreen. I did all the things. And I went downstairs and there are my girls sitting on the floor in their room, just playing with their baby dolls. And I was like, well, do you girls want to get in your bathing suits? You know, you want to go to the pool? And they were like, we kind of got something going on here. You know, we're, we're doing this. And I was just like, oh, okay. But then my son heard, and he's like, no, 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 guys, we got to go to the pool. So he convinces them to go to the pool. So we go to the pool, and then we're at the pool, and I'm like, okay, it's time to go. And the daughter who didn't want to go to the pool, who had to be convinced to go to the pool, said, no, I don't want to leave the pool, right? And it's just this constant, like, back and forth of, like, are we going to go? Are we not going to go, right? Because kids, they, they change their minds a lot. And something, even like a swimming pool on a hot summer day, right? Th these kids could be both drawn to it and kind of repelled by it, which, which is kind of an interesting thing, right? But our, our desire for things or our attraction for things tends to wax and wane. And this is true not just for children um, and not just for swimming pools, right? This happens in a lot of areas in our lives. Uh, there, there are things that, that, we, that grow or that shrink over time, right, in, in what, we're, what we're wanting to do. It could be an interest that we have in a specific topic, right? It, it might be an enthusiasm that we have for a particular sports team. Um, it might be an attraction that we feel towards someone that we think, maybe I want to date this person, maybe I don't, right? It, like it grows and then it shrinks and we're not really sure, right? It might be like our commitment to get up and go to the gym in the mornings, right? These things grow and then they shrink, right? These things that, that ebb and flow and wax and wane in our lives. Um, I went to a church conference about, uh, about eight months ago. Um, and when I was there, I met a woman who's a pastor in Minnesota, um, and we just, we just really hit it off, right? We kind of clicked right from the start, and so we spent a lot of time together. Uh, we ate our meals together, we had our breaks together, and so we were sharing a lot about our lives and the stories of, of what God was doing in us and all of these things, um, and it was just like really great. And so at the end of the conference, when, um, when it was time to go, we decided, you know, instead of just exchanging information, we want to have like a more meaningful role in each other's lives. And so we decided that we were going to be prayer partners. And so we said, you know, let's have a Zoom me meeting um, every Friday morning and we'll just get on and we'll, we'll connect and we'll share our lives and we'll pray for each other. And so we put it in our phones so that we would remember. Um, and, and we were just like really excited about this. And it's been eight months now and we've logged on to Zoom just once, 
just the one time, um, right? And so it's like this, this really funny thing, though, because when we said it, I wasn't like, hey, let's do this, like, wink, wink, I don't actually want to do this. Like, no, like, this is actually something that I genuinely want to do. I still want to do it, right? This is in my wheelhouse. I really like her. I really love to pray. I really, I don't even mind Zoom, right? Like, I'm like, no, this fits. Like, I want to do this thing, and yet I keep not doing it. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if you can relate to that. But I think maybe that you can, because I think it's a really common experience for people to have this back and forth, ebb and flow, kind of in and out with things in our lives. And I think that's in part why we connect with songs like Fallen by Alicia Keys, right? This song that we just listened to uh, this morning, Last week, we started this new sermon series of summer songs. And so what we're doing every week is we take a different song or a couple of songs, and they could be from culture, they could be from church, they could be from anywhere, and we look at the lyrics, right? We're paying attention to the soundtracks of our lives, and we're saying, what about the songs that we listen to and the things that we're feeding ourselves um, lines up with what I believe? Is there something in here that's affirming my faith? Are there things in here that maybe don't agree with it and I want to pay attention to. Um, and so we're, we're looking at, at those. And so this week we're looking at this song um, by Alicia Keys. Um, and and I, I think, you know, this song, um, Fallen, resonates with a lot of people. Um, it's actually not a, a brand new song. This was the first song that Alicia Keys released. Um, it was her first single. She was 20 years old when it came out. And um, it was just a huge success from the get-go, right? Right when it came out. She actually won five Grammys for this song. Um, I think we have a picture of her. There she is with her Grammys. Uh, this was when it came out, right? She won Best Song of the Year, Best New Artist, right? All of these things um, right then. And it really launched her. She is now one of the world's best-selling musical artists. She has sold over 90 million albums. Um, and she has just continued to write and produce and perform these things, right? But Fallen was her first song. And when it came out, nobody really knew who she was. But as soon as people started hearing this song, they wanted to hear more about her and from her. And so she was on Jay Leno and she was on Oprah. She was on Saturday Night Live. Like Sesame Street even asked her to come and to sing a version of that song for the kids, right, on their show. And, and so it was this song that everybody was listening to. Everybody was singing. So much so that um, American Idol, do you guys know what American Idol is? It's a, a television series, right? But it's a singing contest. And so the contestants come on and sing things. Well, American Idol has actually banned this song from being sung by the contestants because so many people sing it all the time. And they're just like, we're out. Like, we're done. We have listened to this time and time and time again. We like to hear something different. Right, everyone has been singing this song. And, and I think there are a number of factors that contribute to the success of Alicia Keys and of this song, right? I mean, for one thing, the, the, um, the way that she was putting together music was really fresh and innovative. She studied classical um, piano and she listened to soul and R&B. And so she was meshing these in a really innovative way. Um, and she also had these just simple but really profound lyrics that people were identifying with. And in this song, Song, Fallen, she's writing about falling in and out of love with a person. Um, and, and so some of the, the lyrics from that song, here's what she says. She says, sometimes I love you, 
but sometimes you make me blue, right? Sometimes I feel good and sometimes I feel used. I keep on falling in and out of love with you. And I think that so many of us can relate to the complicated emotions of being drawn in and pushed away by something or someone, right? Of this kind of ebb and flow in and out with our desires. And this happens not only in love relationships or in like scheduling Zoom calls or going to the pool, right? This happens in our spiritual lives as well. Um, there's a guy named Paul who lived in the first century, and he was a Jewish man who became a Jesus follower, and he went around to all of these different towns telling people about Jesus and forming these communities that he called churches, and then he would write letters to those church communities to teach them and to encourage them and to answer any questions that they had about following Jesus. And so we today still read the letters that Paul wrote um, in our churches, and we do that to, to be taught and to be encouraged and to have some of our questions answered um, from the letters that he has written. And so today we're going to be reading from Romans, um, and this is the part of the letter that we're reading is um, where Paul is actually, he's talking about the law. And so the law was um, like this, the the commandments that God had given to the Israelites for how to live together, right? And so it was these guidelines for life. And in this part of the discussion, Paul is really highlighting some of the complex feelings or thoughts or this wrestling of being in and out um, with, with this idea of what it is to follow Jesus. Um, okay, so let's read this together. So this is from Romans chapter 7, and I've pulled some verses to help it read more clearly. It's quite, quite long. So, okay, Romans 7, chapter, chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. In verse 18, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then in verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Right, so Paul is really describing something that, of a gap that exists between belief and action. And so he's saying, hey, there are these things that I want to do, right? These things that I believe, these things that I want to follow, this stuff that I want, but I want to do these things, but actually I end up doing this thing. I want to go there, but I end up going here. How wretched am I? Who is going to help me, right? How, how is this going to um, show up in my life? Right? He, he's essentially saying, I am falling in and out of love right, with this thing. Right? I love this. I want to do this. And yet, I'm not doing it. In verse 15, this is what he says. Right? I do not do what I want. I do the very thing that I hate. That's a really powerful thought. To think you want to do something. And yet, you're not doing that thing. And it seems like it's not a lack of desire. It's not a lack of passion. It's not a lack of understanding of what to do. Right? In, in this next verse, in, in verses 18 and 19, he's saying, I have the desire to do what's right. And what I don't have is the ability to carry it out. 
right? I don't have the strength within myself to do these things that I actually want to do. And I find myself wondering, you know, have you ever felt that way? In my work as a pastor, one of the things that I get to do is I get to sit and talk with people about some of the inner struggles in their lives. And it is one of my most favorite things to do. I, I love being invited into these really private and tender spaces in people's lives to be trusted with that. But what I have learned over all of these years and talking with all of these people is that many of us feel this kind of gap Right, we can talk about the kind of person that we want to be. Right, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. I want to move towards generosity. I want to move towards kindness. I want to live out these things about the God that I love in his kingdom. And yet, this is where I am. Right? I, this is where I want to be. Right? This is what I believe. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm going after. And yet, I'm struggling because this is where my actions actually are. Right? And so we, we wrestle with these things sometimes and we say, why am I still here? Why am I still wrestling with this thing? Right? Why did I say that? Why didn't I say that? Right? Why did I do that? Why didn't I do that? Right? Why, why, I wish I had prayed more. I wish I had, had helped that person. I wish I had stepped in. I wish I had done this. Right? We, we recognize sometimes that there is a gap between what we want to do, the direction that we want our lives to move, and how we are actually doing this. And when we realize that, a lot of times we know it's not that we don't actually want to do it, right? I think of the Zoom calls with my friend where it's like, no, this, this fits. This is what I want. It's just that I'm not actually doing it. It's just that in this moment, it's not showing up in the way that I thought that it would, in the way that I hoped that it would, in the way that I long for it to. And so Paul makes this rather dramatic declaration where he's saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Right? How am I going to close this gap? How am I going to move together my beliefs and my actions so that they aren't far away from each other, but that I actually am living out what it is that I believe and living out what it is that I want to do? And when you and I face this question, when we ask ourselves, how am I going to close the gap? A lot of times, the way that we answer that question is some version of I, I mean, I have to try harder, right? If I know what to do, then I have to do it, right? And we think I just somehow, I've just, I've got to buckle down, right? I've just got to follow through, right? I, I, ha I just have to, to do these things. And maybe if, if I would just pay more attention to this stuff, then I could, could, could do it and I could live it out. And this is what we tell ourselves. And this is what we tell our kids. And this is what we somehow believe as if somehow our sanctification is somehow up to us. But friends, I have some really good news for us today. And I want to tell you that your struggle is not because you aren't trying hard enough, right? This gap that you are struggling and wrestling with, right? It is not there because you aren't working hard enough or diligently enough in order to do it. And goodness, do we ever try, right? It's not that you aren't trying hard enough. We are trying, and so often in our lives, when we try something and we fail, we feel shame, 
right? This is what we do. If we think, gosh, I, I, I just can't do that thing. And we, and we start to feel overwhelmed by shame. And shame is a terrible motivator, by the way. There's, it's been really helpful for me in my life to learn the difference between guilt and shame, right? Guilt can be healthy. Guilt is something that can be helpful in our lives. It identifies an action or a behavior or a thing that we have done that says, oh, hey, this thing, that, that wasn't what I want to do. This isn't who I want to be, right? It can help us identify sin in our life so that we can repent and turn away from it. But shame is something else. Shame doesn't look for the problem in the behavior. Shame looks for a problem in a person, and so where guilt might say, I've done something wrong, shame says, I am something wrong. And sometimes what happens, if we identify a gap in our lives between what we believe and what we're doing, we wear that as shame. And, and we start thinking that the gap exists because there's a problem with me. And if I would just do better, if I would just try harder, if I would just, 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 then maybe I could close that gap. But I want to tell us today, and I want to tell you in love, that friends, we are not strong enough to close that gap. This is what Paul said. I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry this out on my own. Right? It does not matter how hard you try to do the right thing. It will never be enough. And here's the reason why. Rules cannot transform people. Rules do not transform us. Right? Trying really, really hard to follow the rules does not produce holiness in our lives. That's not how it works. That's not how this kingdom is set up. You know, I mentioned that when we started reading these verses um, in Romans 7, that, uh, that Paul was writing about the law. And you might be familiar with the Ten Commandments when we think about, you know, the law and the commandments of God. There were way more than ten, right? There were hundreds and hundreds of them. And, um, and, and Paul was a Jewish man, and he was writing this letter to a church that had Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And so for Jewish people, the law and all of these rules was really central. And what this church was wrestling with was what role does the law, what, what role does the rules have in our lives, right? Now that Jesus has come, what role does the law play, right? What, what place does the law have in Christian discipleship? This is what they were wrestling with, and this is what Paul is really speaking to. And so Paul basically tells them, hey, listen, the law or the rules, I mean, they're good because what they're doing is they're describing God's will for how we would live together, right? But, but the people never actually followed the law or followed the rules. If you read the story in the Old Testament, we just see that no matter how many rules, no matter how many laws were given to them, they, it, the more that they were given, actually, the more that they disobeyed. And so the rules were never actually sufficient to fix what was, what was the heart of the problem. Because the law and the rules, were, they could not save them and they could not transform them. And friends, that is still true for us today. 
right? Wherever we find ourselves in the ebb and the flow, in the in and out of falling in love with the things of God, with the kingdom of God, with all of this stuff, right? Wherever we find ourselves in that, I just want, I just want us to know and to remember that following a list of rules is not going to fix it. Right? Following a list of things is not going to close the gap between where we want to be and where we find ourselves. Right? It, it, and, and, and this is actually something that is really good news for us. Because following the law or following a list of rules is actually, it's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way that God came to transform us and to change what he's actually doing in the world. Okay, so Paul then goes on to describe a different way, a better way, right? If following a list of rules and trying to just hold on really tight and do our best and try harder, if that's not going to do it, if that won't move us all the way over here, then what is it that we do? What does it look like for us to follow Jesus and to actually close that gap between where we want to be and where we are? And this is what Paul describes in Romans chapter 8. And essentially what he's saying is that we need to embrace what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Right? We embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in us and in our lives. So Romans 7 is talking about the law, right? And then in Romans 8, he, he's, it, it's one of the most beloved chapters in all of scripture, right? It's one of the places that people go again and again because this is where God is, or where Paul is describing the way that we follow Jesus and what life in God's kingdom, living by God's spirit can actually look like for us. And so he starts in Romans 8, chapter 1, and this is what he says, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is how he is setting up this chapter. Okay, so, so Paul has just spent kind of a big chunk of the last chapter saying that it is possible to want to do good things and to end up doing bad things. And now he's saying, listen, even though that's true, for those of us who are in Jesus, for those of us who are following the Lord, there is no condemnation in that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, okay? So what he is saying is that even though that is true, even though there is a gap, right, we are not condemned because of it. And what that means is we are not kicked out of the family, we are not shamed as someone who is not beloved, as someone who is not good enough, as someone who is not worthy of the, the, um, the goodness of God to be in our lives. Right? This is great news for us. But he doesn't stop there. Right? Because he doesn't want to just leave us with the impression that it doesn't actually matter that there's a gap. Right? We, we want this gap to close. We want our lives to live out our beliefs. It's just that we can't do it on our own. And so Paul is describing, okay, well, what do we do? Well, we embrace the work of God in our lives. So if we read on to this next verse, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. 
right? So, so God has come and, and done what, right? We were just talking about the law and what the rules cannot do, cannot accomplish in us. The law cannot save us and it cannot transform us. God has come to do what, what was not able to be done by sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh, right? So Jesus came as a person. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, so what Paul is doing here is he is setting up a really powerful comparison. Okay, he, he is contrasting the weakness of the law and the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, and so, so this is for our salvation, right? The law could not save us. And so he's talking about Jesus coming in flesh and, and producing salvation. But then he goes on to talk about this whole life in the spirit. So it's not just our, our salvation, but it's our transformation as well, right? We are people who are not only saved by grace, we are people who live by grace as well. And so what he, what he said here, right, he's saying Jesus has come in order that the requirements of the law are fulfilled in us. Now notice what he didn't say. He didn't say that Jesus came so that we could fulfill the requirements of the law. He doesn't say that. He says that Jesus has come so that the requirements of the law could be fulfilled in us. Right? He is pointing to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You and I, when we decide that we are going to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and actually lives within us. We are carriers of the presence of God. Everywhere that we go, the presence of God goes with us. The Holy Spirit lives in us to encourage us and to love us and to draw near to us and to guide us and to convict us and, and to, to, to surround us. We are never alone, right? This is the amazing thing that God has done. When Jesus came to rescue us and to deliver us, he then gave us his spirit. And so the spirit now is in us. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that transforms us. So we don't have to try really hard. We don't have to just hold on tight and white knuckle it and say, if I just try harder, if I just do more, if I just, if I could do this thing and put maybe a list of all the requirements in front of me, maybe if I remind myself more, then I'll do the thing, right? Paul is reminding them of the law and he's saying, look, Look at the stories that come before you. Hundreds and hundreds of years of people who had the law who could not live it out. We cannot do this on our own. The rules are inadequate to transform us. He says, but I have good news, right? Who will rescue this wretched man? Who will rescue this wretched woman? Who will close this gap between what I want to do and what I'm doing? Thanks be to God. He has given us his spirit. And so this is what it looks like to live by the spirit. And then he is going on to talk about life in the spirit, and so Paul then is, is reminding us and talking about what it looks like in order to live by the Spirit. And he talks about setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. And so what, what we do is we make this shift in where we're looking. We make a shift in where we're paying attention and what we're paying attention to. 
And so he talks about this. You can go home and you can read chapter 8. But he's talking about essentially not paying attention just to a list of rules or to ourselves. But instead, we're paying attention to God. We're paying attention to the Holy Spirit. And so there's a shift in where our arrows are pointing. And so we're not pointing to the things that look like holiness. We are pointing to the Holy One. And so we are looking at Jesus and we're trying to pay attention to what is God doing in me. And so, right, can, can you imagine this, right? Can you think about how our lives might change if we were able to pay more attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, right? If, if we were able to just um, be attentive and watch and listen and wait, what kinds of things might God invite us to do in our lives, Right, so, so I, I have started thinking that an invitation for us, even today, might be for us to ask ourselves the question, right, not what am I doing wrong, not what rule am I breaking, but how is God at work in me? Right, where is God at work in my life, and how can I join him in what he's doing? There is a freedom to be had in life in the spirit to follow after God into the goodness that he has for us. And so we pay attention to where is God bringing me joy and where is God leading me into peace and where is God showing me something about his kingdom, right? What does shalom and the flourishing of all people look like and how is he inviting me into that? And then when we notice things in our lives and in our minds and in our hearts that don't align with that, the Holy Spirit who is in us is moving in us and stirring us to move in that direction, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who is at work sanctifying us, right? We don't sanctify ourselves. We don't have to just hold on tight and pay attention and say, if I just do these things, I'll be holy. No, we are holy, not based on what we do. We are holy and we fulfill the requirements of the law based not on us, but based on Jesus, right? His goodness has been applied to us. We are in him. The Holy Spirit is in us. And now we're paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing within us, right? So there is an ebb and flow to this life in the spirit. There is a goodness and a richness to be had, Right? There is freedom in knowing it's not actually up to us to just work out and hold on tight, but that the God who loved us, who came to rescue us, can see that throughout history, the law and the rules have been inadequate to transform people. And in his goodness, he has come and filled us and is working to transform us and to make us look like Jesus. And friends, this is really good news for us, right? Who will rescue us when we see the gaps in our lives? Thanks be to God, we don't have to do it ourselves. God, through Jesus, has saved us. And God is transforming us and making us more like him. So I want to um, invite you to just pray with me now as we kind of wrap this up. I just want to pray about the work that God is doing in each of our lives.
So God, we come to you today and we, um, we just acknowledge who we are and the way that we are fallen in and out of love with so many things in our lives, even things of you. And Lord, we realize that there, for a lot of us, are ways that we want so much to move in the direction of love. We want to move in the direction of your kingdom. We want to be more like you. And we recognize that there are ways in which that's not true in our lives, that there are gaps that exist. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would remind us that you are at work in us and that you are empowering us by your Holy Spirit to be attentive to the work you're doing in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that any time we think it's up to us, any time we think we just have to hold on tight and try and try and try harder, that you would remind us that you are at work in us. So, Lord, will you come and will you fill us again? Will you remind us of your overwhelming love for us? And Lord, as we follow you and as we try to pay attention to the ways that you're leading us, will you help close that gap in our lives so that we would look like you, so that we would love like you, so that we would join you in the work of seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.